Hi, I'm Samantha B. Welcome to my podcast, Full Release with Samantha B. Hopefully, you'll experience one by the end of this. I hope everyone had a good Labor Day. Friendly reminder that you're not supposed to wear white after Labor Day, and we're expanding that this year to include not being a white supremacist after Labor Day either. That is a fad that should never come back into style. So as the hoopla of the conventions fades behind us and as Kimberly Guilfoyle's screams are slowly reverberating through my brain, we're also entering fall with catastrophic storms and fires and more police brutality. There rarely seems to be a good day in America in 2020, but we'll at least try to bring you a good hour. We are both so close to the end of this terrible election season and yet so far away. By the time this airs, who knows? President Trump will likely be tweeting that voting causes COVID. Truly hope this conversation will give you a modicum of joy and distract you from the daily news grind. As a reminder, we do tape the show in advance, so we might not cover all the most recent horrible things happening in the world, but... Chances are, if the country is even crazier than when we tape this, you probably shouldn't be listening to a podcast right now. Anyway, I'm joined by my producers, Svia Baron-Reinstein and Adam Howard, who are helping me serve up my latest offering to the podcast gods. And I think we have a really fun guest today. Yet another installment of my sports education. What, um, what is your sports background? Are you, are you both jocks? Do we still use that word? Do you play the sports? Uh, do you care about sports? I, do. I can't not say it like that. I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm a huge sports fan, and I, I used mm-hmm. to do some sports. I, I ran track, and oh. when I was very young, I actually wanted to be an NBA player, but I didn't realize oh. that you needed to be super tall, because when you watch television, they look like normal size, and I don't think my parents right. had the heart to tell me that you know these people oh. are well over six feet. <laughs> And I'm like a not a tall man. I, I actually like round up my height on my driver's license because I'm that insecure about it. I don't it. think you should admit to that in, on a public I, podcast. I mean, I'm just letting it all out right now. This has like become a therapy session for me. But wait, how tall are you actually, and what do you round? I'm five eight and some change, and I say okay. five nine. I'm very close I to five nine. up to six three. <laughs> don't all men do that though? What did you run in track? Distance, which I regret now. I was I. They really hated it. I think I, I did one like mile run in, in a class that went well. And okay. my gym teacher was like, oh, you should try this regularly. And I, I got too cocky and was like, yeah, I should I should run distance. And it's horrible. Oh, no. It's just like unpleasant for everyone. Oh, track seems like the worst sport. Yeah. Oh, I feel strongly about grueling. not being pro running. <laughs> my only memory of a track meet ever, I was forced to go. And of course, I was wearing white shorts and got my period. Thank you. <laughs> That's track. So when you even say track, I go, whoa, 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 my whole body convulses. So that was the end of your sports career? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a fitting tribute to how <laughs> accomplished I was. Well, I had a very early sports career. I think the word jock is so funny, but I would say I was like a junior jock. Oh, what? <laughs> when I was very young, I played girls hockey. That's right. I remember that photo of you. <laughs> like, like ice hockey? Yeah, ice hockey. Oh, wow. and I was born in Canada, and I have an older brother, and he played hockey, and I wanted to do everything that he did. And so, naturally, I signed up. And the thing about, like, children's hockey is that ice time is very expensive. And mm-hmm. so, kids get, like, the shittiest hours. So, we had practice at, like, 6 in the morning oh, on goodness. Sundays. Yes. It was horrible. My dad would, like, get me 
dressed into all my like pads and stuff while I was still asleep. So I quit because I couldn't stop. <laughs> like I was a good oh, skater, but I couldn't stop. Okay. Wow. And that's Stopping very is, that's very stressful. That's a very important part of skating yeah. is it's, knowing how to stop. To stop skating. You <laughs> do have to be able to stop. Yeah. Ice time in Canada is so competitive. Yeah. Like at, like hockey rinks are just they're like, sorry, the, the, the 3 a.m. slot is, but we've been booked up for a year. <laughs> it's <laughs> like middle yeah, of the night. It's harder hockey. to get ice time than to get like a good wedding venue. <laughs> but then we'd go out for like pancakes after at, at like 7 a.m. Ooh. Yeah, it's great to start your day early. My takeaway is you're sports fiends, but <laughs> I am very excited to talk to our guest. She's going to teach me everything I need to know. All right. Okay. We're going to take a quick break, but we have Megan Rapino coming up and you're going to want to stick around after that for another cutthroat round of real or fake so don't go away because i have some hand-picked ads coming up just for you joining me today is megan rapino you may know her best as one of the badass captains of the reigning world champion women's national soccer team but she's so much more. She's been an outspoken activist on issues like pay equity, racial injustice, and LGBTQ plus rights on and off the soccer field, and just recently spoke at the DNC. She's at the absolute top of her game, both literally and figuratively. And while I've admired her from afar for a really long time, I'm so excited to finally get to talk to her. She's a style icon, she's a sports icon, and now like me, she's become a TV icon thanks to her new special, Seeing America, which recently debuted on HBO. Welcome to the show, Megan Rapino. Hello. Thank you so much for saying yes to us. <laughs> of course. Very excited to be talking to you right now. Okay. At the t it's early where you are. Are you in Seattle uh, right now? Uh, no, I'm actually on the East Coast. So oh, you while are? I do okay. still think it's early, it is 11 a.m. So that's on Okay. Me. All right. Okay, I'm uh, then I don't feel quite no, as no, bad, no. and yet still, it's still intrusive. I get it. <laughs> okay, it says more about me than than you. How is quarantine going for you? How is this period of time? How is it weighing on you? How are you feeling? How are you coping? Um, I'm taking it day by day. Um, it's mm -hmm. been obviously a, a long process. I'm actually um, down in Florida right now with. Um, my girlfriend, Sue, in the WNBA mm -hmm. bubble, they're doing their season. So it's, it's you know, yeah, day yeah. by day. It, it's, a, it's a struggle. Okay. I mean, having it be so uncertain for so long with no sort of positive outlook mm -hmm. ahead. The administration's done such a, uh, you know, frankly, a terrible job in every sense managing this. We've just blown past 180,000 deaths and all that. So trying to manage while still, you know, in, in certain moments, just trying to stay present and, you know, find things that keep me sane and healthy. So yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. balancing act as, as I'm sure, you know, what is it like to be in a sports bubble? It is, it is a, a strange experience <laughs> while, um, you know, all your basic needs are met. Um, you know, it's safe. You know, the, the things that have to happen here, the games are great. Um, it's safe. The testing protocols, all of the health and safety protocols are amazing, to be honest. I've been super impressed with the WNBA and all the players here and just getting this off. It's such a Herculean um, effort mm. to even get this off. And all of that is is amazing. But being, you know, in a hotel with like 400 other people and you see them all the time and you can't go anywhere right. and can't do anything um, and sort of living at a hotel room has its challenges. But 
overall mm-hmm. there, there is a, a purpose of, of why we're here um, and why, you know, the WNBA players decided to, to be here and they have mm-hmm. such a focus on social justice. They dedicated their season to say her name and Brianna Taylor and so many mm-hmm. other women and just, you know, it's, it's honestly just inspiring. I mean, the wake of everything that's happening right now and, you know, the Jacob Blake shooting and what's happening in Kenosha, yeah. Wisconsin, everything to see these women not just rise to the occasion, but shoulder such a heavy burden to do it with such yes. grace and class. And um, just, they're just extraordinary leaders. So to, to be sort of in this presence is amazing, really, and, and really uplifting, inspiring in such a difficult time. I think a lot of people were surprised to see WNBA players and NBA players strike in the playoffs and take this stand. Do you think people are starting to finally realize that sports are a multi-billion dollar industry and players are ready to use their voice and platform for good? I, I hope so. Mm-hmm. I definitely think you're, you're starting to see that more. I think the players really are starting to realize how much power and how much impact they can have mm-hmm. um, and, and trying to figure out ways to use their voice to have that impact. And I think for the NBA they obviously are part of a multi-billion dollar business and, you know, maybe the, the financial ramifications of them not playing will open people's eyes up more. I think for the WNBA players, they realize that they have this amazing platform right now. They're on TV all the time. They're able to uplift the names of women who, frankly, we don't even have you know, time to forget because we never learn their names to begin with. And I think that that's a microcosm of not just women in America or female athletes, but definitely black women in America. So I, I think they're navigating just as the NBA and MLB and all the other sports of what mm-hmm. way they can be most impactful in that certain lane. And it's going to look a little bit different for each league, but I've been just hugely impressed with not only just the walkouts, but um, the way that all these players are handling it and, you know, really, really finding their voice in this space. I actually talked to Jamel Hill a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about the early political activism of athletes like Maya Moore and the Minnesota Lynx and how she took time off from her career to help free a man from prison. Why are female athletes like groundbreaking stories? They don't get as much attention as their male counterparts. You know, I mean, the WNBA always seems to be doing the right thing. People sort of talk about it less. What I mean, I think I know what accounts for that, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, just as we live in a racist society based on white supremacy, Mm -hmm. we live in a patriarchal society based on sexism. And, you know, when we talk about intersectionality, the people who have the most intersectionality are generally the people who are talked about and listened to the least. So if you're talking about Mm -hmm. the WNBA, it's a league that's comprised 80% of black women. Um, There is a strong presence of LGBTQ. Um, They're female Mm -hmm. athletes. So all of these things, I feel like just work, you know, against them in that sense, which, which sort of uniquely positions them as the expert when it comes to social justice. I mean, you've seen it through, it's literally in their DNA. It's who they are as right. a people. You saw it obviously very early on before Colin Kaepernick. Now you had the Minnesota Lynx taking the stand and doing a media mm-hmm. blackout and wearing shirts. And, you know, Maya Moore, obviously, you know, she will likely be um, deemed one of the greatest, if not the greatest player ever stepping away from 
her career to, you know, focus on not just, you know, Jonathan Irons case. And um, he was just released from prison, which is an amazing story, but just social justice in general. And I think we just, you know, it's like normalize listening to women and right. black women in this country. <laughs> yes, and we will all yes, be please. better off. Um, <laughs> we really, yeah, we, we really well. would be better off. Mm-hmm. Well, you famously were the first non-NFL player and the first white player to join Colin Kaepernick by kneeling way back in the fall of 2016. I mean, how do you like wrestle with the fact that it, it really kind of ended his professional athletic career, but in some ways it brought you more attention aside from the recognition you are already getting for your talent on the field. Like, how do you, how do you contend with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I make no mistake about it. There is a reason why I sort of became famous for what I did. Mm-hmm. And Colin became infamous for what he did. Um, it's right. called whiteness. I mean, I'm, I'm right. five, six, um, you know, generally I would say in, in sort of a normative beauty kind of way, I guess I'm cute and I'm non-threatening and I'm white. You're very cute. So it's like, this is, I'm just going to say it, you know, like it is that I feel like that's really what yeah. it is. And it, it took a little bit of time, obviously. I, you know, I went through, you know, hard things, but I didn't lose my job. Um, I right. wasn't fired from my job. I wasn't, um, I feel, I feel a little bit like I was, uh, they would have loved it if I would have just kind of like drifted off into the sunset. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was never taken off contract. So it's you've got that sweet, sweet presidential attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was like, so, oh, good one, Trump. That kind of backfired oh, on you, didn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think that it's, it's certainly, you know, more palatable for the general public, um, in the United States to hear what I have to say and to, you know, hear the things I'm saying and, and not a six, four, you know, black man, strong black man, um, who was very clear about what he was speaking about and, and had an Afro mm-hmm. that's, those are, those are very right. different things. Are you surprised that activism has become such a, a such a big part of your career? Um, is that like, is that a turn that you felt? I mean, you, I'm sure you held all of those beliefs in your heart, but did you think that you'd have this platform and use it in this way when you were growing up? No, definitely not. I mean, I didn't even know what the term activism was. I didn't think I had, I didn't have any of that language whatsoever. I think mm-hmm. as I sort of got into my career though, you know, starting to understand the discrimination inequalities that female athletes have to deal with. Obviously we have our discrimination lawsuit with the Federation, um, being a gay athlete as well, understanding that, you know, looking at the flag and, you know, I can't get married in 2012 if I wanted to. And, you know, it's been five years since marriage equality has passed in this country. That's it. Just five years. And so I feel like it's been this sort of natural evolution. And so as a, as a gay female athlete who has this particular platform, for me, it just makes sense. I, I, I think that's just who I am. And, you know, just it, it it was sort of a no brainer for me. And so while the Colin Kaepernick, um, you know, kneeling with Colin was a big decision. It wasn't one that I thought about for a long time. It, It honestly was just like, oh, this is, you know, I'm seeing him on TV. I'm seeing the way he's speaking. I'm seeing the way people are speaking about him, which is so clearly in an effort to muddle the message and, and very racist and making about things that it wasn't. And I just thought, you know, mm-hmm. if, if in any way I can help, I know that as a, as a gay athlete, I've asked people to be my ally or stand in my corner or, you know, join me. And so it, it seemed like the least that I could do. 
So these things emerge for you really organically. Yeah. Like I think a lot of people, you know, you've done so much for, I think the confidence of young people who both who play sports and who also like aren't interested in sports at all. And it's so important for them that they see you getting involved in political and social justice causes. Like, I think it's great that you aren't confined to one thing. Do you think about other issues that you would want to expose your fans to? Uh, that mean, you like do you do you take on those do you you know do you wrestle with that at night and go hmm, do I do um I mean I think to me all of it is kind of the same you know we live in a society built by one particular kind of person for one particular kind of person mm-hmm. and so that has huge effects huge negative effects for basically everyone else in society and you can take that into you know environmental issues and you can take that into income inequality and healthcare inequality and racism and and all of that so to me it's kind of all connected and so I never think like oh I'm going to focus on this one issue or this one issue they're all the same to me that's that's the um you know kind of the the heart of intersectionality is how all of these things are connected. So I can see as like a, a gay white woman who plays sports where these things intersect, but I can also understand that some of my teammates who are black have the same things and more. And so I don't really think of like, okay, today I'm talking about this or, you know, I'm going to focus on this. Right. It's just whatever sort of comes organically and naturally. I just try to, you know, lend my voice to that and use it with mm-hmm. the most impact that I can. How, how are we still talking about equal pay for equal work? You know, I don't it's know. Just, I don't know. You know, it's, yeah. it's insane. Like where, where's the U S soccer federation's claim even coming from that materially you're not doing the same work. I, it, it is coming from like 300 years ago. That's where it's coming from. Right. Um, uh, you know, I really, I just don't know. That is something that is very, you know, frustrating f- for me and just disappointing mm-hmm. is that, you know, obviously these things affect me personally. And so I see it very clearly, but I, I just think if you take a step back and look at the yeah. country and where it's going, we know that there's inequality. We know that there's been inequality yeah. in the past and we know that the way to solve inequality is to over-invest in underserved communities so we can make up the gap and make things more equal. And I I don't know if it's, you know, we're just sort of in the weeds about it and it's a fight and you want to win the fight or you want to win the argument, but it just seems to me, it's like there's a very clear right and wrong way. And to dig heels in and to just continually signal not only to the players that are on your team right now, but to all of the little girls and boys playing that will eventually play on the national team Mm -hmm. that because you're a boy, you are inherently better. And because you're a girl, you are inherently less is just an egregious, you know, use of the Federation, which is charged with growing soccer in America and shepherding over soccer in America for, for both men and women. I just, I don't understand it. Um, it's, it's very yeah. frustrating, but you know, I don't understand a lot of things in this world. I think from the outside looking in, I don't understand. It. Like, I don't think anybody can understand it. Yeah, I, it doesn't make it just defies logic. Yes. It defies 
Yes. It defies, yes, it defies, <laughs> it defies well, everything. I mean, <laughs> it defies everything. It's so frustrating, even for people on the outside to just go like, I don't understand. Like you've, the case is there. It's the evidence has, is there. Mm-hmm. What is stopping anyways? Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't, oh, you know what? People should just, we should just get three wishes. We should just get three <laughs> 10 wishes. Yeah. <laughs> I actually would love a hundred wishes, but I could narrow it down to three. Yeah. <laughs> the world would be a much better place. Yeah. It's this is this is a very dumb sidetrack, but every time I go to my gynecologist, we talk about one thing, and that is just like if you gave the whole world to women mm. for 10 years, mm. just give us the levers of power in every arena for 10 years. And if you don't like things better. After 10 years, right. you can have the whole goddamn thing back. I've been saying this for Yours. a while. I mean, a bit I in, guarantee. in jest, but <laughs> if men could just take 100 years off, that would be great. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I say it jokingly, take but I'm also powder. like, I mean, we're, we're seeing it around the world with the handling of the coronavirus and just, it, it's, it is just yeah. shocking. It is just unbelievable and this is an overwhelming body of evidence that the the women that are in charge of these countries are just doing better um and and just i think the more women you have in power the more perspective you have you get more of the full story um it's like never has you know Mm -hmm. there been more women involved in anything and it got worse i just don't i just don't believe that so right i'm with you i'll take 10 years (laughs) i'll take 10 years not even 100 Take it to start with 10 years. You know what I mean? Just the whole thing. Give us the whole enchilada. Yeah. I swear to God, it's going to be so much better right. for everyone. Yeah. <sighs> we'll, we'll bet on that. We'll take that mm-hmm. bet. Do you think that COVID's going to permanently change the way that we consume sporting events live, at least in this country? What is your take on? I mean, certainly in the sort of, you know, near to medium future. Absolutely. I mean, obviously we're in the early stages. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, having social distancing and we're not having fans at all. Even when we get mm-hmm. the vaccine, it's not like everyone's going to be rushing back into a confined space of 20,000 people. I mean, maybe some people, maybe some people are already doing that, but I don't think we're going to see that you know, at least probably for a couple of years, I think we're going to really have to tiptoe back into sort of public space together and public gatherings. I mean, hopefully after November, we have an administration who's, you know, going to take science seriously and and will be guided in that way. But I, I think we should think long and hard. I think this is a, a time if, if anything can come out of this time with the coronavirus in particular, it's potentially a reset of a lot of things, um, of the way that we travel and the way that we gather right. together and all of those things. So I, I think sports um, could definitely just use a long, hard look, not to say that it was broken before, but is there a better way? Is there a safer way um, that we can do this right. that can protect more people? Because even if you think about the flu, I mean, the flu was a big thing until we, you know, surged past yes. that number very quickly of deaths in the, in the United States. But shouldn't we all really kind of be wearing masks during flu season as well? I mean, we had, I think like 50 or 60,000 people a year die from the flu. Yeah. And it's like, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have that. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, if there's a silver lining, it's an opportunity to rethink public health, the whole healthcare system in general, but to really rethink how, you know, we approach as the world becomes more populated and, um, you know, we're just around each other so much. Yeah. I can't believe how many people 
had to be told to wash their hands. Unbelievable. I mean, later on, just, just on a very just basic, on a basic level. level. <laughs> you should, you should, there's this thing called soap and you should use it. Yeah. Just check it out. You should wash your hands. You can wash them. Wait, you were like, wait, what? what? I have to wash my hands four times a day? On. Uh, oh, oh, I do it <laughs> I, only on the weekends. Right. Thank you very much. Um, okay, so you and your girlfriend, Sue Bird, were supposed to compete in Tokyo mm-hmm. this year in the Olympics, pushed a year due to COVID. How, like, as an athlete, how does it affect you physically and mentally to be so close to something like that and, and then have it delayed? All just all of a sudden, like, what is the what is the bodily and and psychological reset that mm-hmm. needs to take place? It is very strange. I literally have never in my life. I mean, we'll just say since college, but really even before that, but really since college, not been on a schedule, sort of you know ramping mm-hmm. up to things or understanding that this is my time to rest or going into preseason or being in season. I mean, it's really, it, the uncertainty was, was like, you know, truly right. a, a, a first time in my life kind of thing. And, you know, for elite athletes, you're sort of always on some kind of schedule or programming, you know, getting you either ready for a season or recovering from a season. And so obviously to be building up to one of the most important things that you'll ever do, a huge world event it was just a time for both of us. We did, you know, have to consciously kind of be like, okay, we do need to reset. This is a time we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know, you know, how this virus is, you know, especially early on how this virus is going to, you know, affect even back in, you know, mid-March, we were kind of like, is the Olympics still happening? It became, you know, pretty clear Mm -hmm. pretty early that it wasn't. Both of us kind of reset to the point of, okay, we need to continue to, you know, work out and have some sort of baseline level, A, for just our health and our mental health. Um, Obviously, being in quarantine, you're sort of cooped up. So we did that. And then it was kind of like, we're just going to stay in this kind of medium place that if we need to ramp up to get ready for things, uh, which Sue eventually did. Okay. She's in the bubble right now playing. I haven't quite gotten there yet. We haven't been playing yet. But sort of we need to ramp up to get to that place we can, but we're kind of staying at this middle zone. We had a lot of help. We have an amazing um, trainer that we work with. She was a a godsend during all of this. And it's just a mental reset. And I know a lot of my teammates and friends, we struggled with it. It's just, it's very strange. It was so abnormal for for us. And I mean, for so many Mm -hmm. people in the country to just all of a sudden not not know what, you know, the year is going to look like or the month of the week or whatever it is. Um, It's very strange. So what a crazy downshift to yeah. have to take. Yeah, it's oh, like boy. going from exactly fifth gear like down to first. You're like, oh wow, this is weird. Yeah, yes. Just the transmission yeah. drops out of your car. Just <laughs> Okay, well you w- participated mm-hmm. in the DNC, which I think went very well, but what is your assessment of how that went? Did you did you feel like there were too many Republicans on that platform? <laughs> I did yeah. a little bit. It's <laughs> always the knee-jerk reaction of the Democratic Party to pander to white voters is frustrating. Mm-hmm. I, I think that as a country, we just continue to, to signal who's important and who's not. Right. You know, the majority of white people did not vote for Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. They didn't. The majority of white people voted for white people and, you know, the majority of white people obviously voted for Trump. And, and while we do need to, you know, appeal to as many people as we possibly can, I think that there's just so many people, so many groups in the party 
that we just take for granted. And it's like, they should be the focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should be the ones that we're reaching out to and grassroots organization and mobilizing people to vote and getting people energetic. You know, you, you take a look at black women as they've been the backbone of the party for so long. I mean, how, how tiring it must be for them to mm-hmm. constantly show up and to be frankly disrespected and, and sort of forgotten in so many ways. So I'm not sure Kasich is really the way to get people. I'm like, can we give AOC more time? Like, can we give people who yeah. really truly are, you know, a grassroots kind of revolution, inspiring people and mobilizing people and what she's done in her district and to unseat a longtime incumbent. You see it with Cori Bush and um, I think St. Louis where she's from and you see Jamal Bowman and you see you know, the squad, if you want to call it, it's just, you know, that's like, that's inspiring. That's getting people out to vote. That's getting new voters out that that's sort of the new wave of America. So I would like to see a little less of that. Um, you know, I, I, I sort of get why, but I think it's still just centering white people far too much in a world that, you know, has white people at the center of it all the time. God, literally centering John Kasich I at mean. the intersection of like I the centering him at the crossroads. Yeah. And like celebrating these <sighs> celebrating Republicans who have so bravely come out against Trump. I'm like, that's not brave. That is not brave. That's you not you brave. can do that in silence mm-hmm. and gather some more people like you yeah. and get more people to not support Trump. That would be brave. Go and do that and not that would get be any brave. credit for it. Because you could convince some people quietly. Exactly. Let us believe for one second that you don't put your job over the citizens right. of this country. My yeah. goodness. Okay. Well, let's talk about AOC a little bit because in your special, mm-hmm. Seeing America... You interviewed her, and she's great. I think she made a really profound statement that you are a professional athlete, but that also means that you are a worker, you're an employee, and you're fighting for something as basic as equal pay. Do you think that people forget that athletes are workers? Just to come back to that issue a little bit. Yes, I do. I do. I think that um, you know people don't don't totally understand the labor relation mm-hmm. between, and it's different for every league. You know, the the NFL obviously has a pretty contentious labor relationship with their ownership who has so, you know, clearly signaled their values and who they stand with and who they don't. You're seeing it a little bit with the NBA now, but the NBA, I think, and Adam Silver has done a fantastic job in, in, mm-hmm. in truly valuing their players' voices, not only valuing them, but uplifting them, giving them the platform, working with them and saying, we will follow you. You guys are the leaders. That's right. been kind of amazing to see over the last however many years. The WNBA is kind of the same. The, the WNBA has done an amazing job supporting its players and really letting its players lead. But I think, yeah, for us, I think mm-hmm. people do understand that there is that power dynamic. And so that, you know, brings intersectionality back into it. You not only have a power dynamic of owners and players, that's sort of like owner and labor, but now you have a, a female team in there. You have a women's team and you have equal pay issues and you have mm-hmm. all of these things. So that part of it, people, they always just think like, oh, the owners have this and the players get paid a lot of money. And so like, that's what it is. Right. But just because you get paid a lot of money doesn't mean it's fair. Right, right, right. Okay. What are people saying about Senator Kelly Leffler in the WNBA bubble? What's the, mm-hmm. what's the hot goss? Um, you know, it's been really <laughs> um, interesting to, to see it all play out. Obviously, she made some very um, 
inflammatory comments, you know, especially coming from someone who's, who's owned the team for a long time. And I think very quickly the players Mm -hmm. realized that they were being used as a political pawn. She was trying to win this seat, which she hasn't won before. It was, I guess, just appointed Mm -hmm. to her. So she's trying to win this seat. And in order to do that in this sort of political landscape, being a Republican, you have to have the Trump base. And in order to get the Trump base, you right. have to be basically racist and inflammatory and, you know, a bigotry of, of all kinds. So she made all these inflammatory comments. And I think the more initially, the more it was like, oh, you know, we need Kelly to get out. That was actually, you know, working to her benefit. And so the players sort of very quickly, right. um, you know, watching Sue sort of go through it and, you know, she was kind of the one that had the first thought of like, what if, you know, we stop playing checkers? What if we played chess? So who's running against Kelly? Um, and, and that's kind right. of a, a, it was sort of just this amazing microcosm of like being an active and engaged citizen in the civic process in voting and all of that. So they're supporting Reverend Raphael Warnock. He presided over the funeral of John Lewis. By all accounts, they've had a number of Zoom calls with him. Seems like an amazing, amazing candidate who will support the things that they believe in, but support them as people, as black women in this country. And so that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It, and I think Kelly continued to double down on like the cancel culture yes. thing. And it's kind of like, Kelly, no one's canceling you. No one's saying we're going to kick you out of the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're coming for that Senate seat for sure. sure. It was interesting to see that like, she didn't have the play 2.0 in the playbook. She just kept saying the cancel culture. And they were like, no, we're not canceling anybody. You have a right to say whatever you want to say, mm-hmm. just know that there's consequences for that. Mm-hmm. And you have to answer for that. And then we're going to say what we want to say. And we're going to be engaged citizens and, you know, participate in the democratic process. Coming back to soccer for a sec, it's such a global, you know, it's global, obviously. Do you feel a palpable sense of the international community's attitudes about the U.S. shifting? Have you felt that shift? Do you ever ask international um, teams if you could just go home with them and live there for yeah, a while? Yeah, right. Like, I'm just like, take me, extra any? seat. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's been, it's been coming, obviously. I mean, since, you know, even right after the election, it was like, whoa, what's happening in America? But certainly with the, with the handling of the pandemic, I think it's been shocking, not only for us Americans, but for everyone else to watch America, which has always looked as sort of this, you know, beacon of mm-hmm. of light and you know of science and cutting edge and you know the best schools and the doctors and all of these kinds of things to see what we have done or you know really not done during the pandemic i think it's been shocking for everyone everyone's like oh wow this is you know america can't be relied on right, right now um we can't be one of you know the leading nations. We aren't one of the leading nations right now, especially when it comes to COVID. And so, you know, I'm seeing my teammates, a number of players have gone overseas to play okay. um, because we can't play here. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, foreign players aren't, aren't coming and playing here. And people are kind of wondering as Europe gets back and is able to sort of resume some percentage of normal life. Um, you see Australia doing the same thing. New Zealand is basically back to normal you know, we're still in the throes of it. And so still in the first wave, it's still in the first wave. Exactly. And so it's, it's, yeah, I think people are just looking at us shocked, really. Right. um, And obviously disappointed. Yeah. Are they like, what are you guys doing? (laughs) I I do get that a lot. What is going on over there? And we're like, we don't know. (laughs) 
my this whole family lives in Canada. And they're like, well, you got to do something about this guy. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. It is yes. unbelievable. Oh, okay. Well, here's a question for you. If you and Sue are playing a friendly game of one-on-one, are you playing soccer or are you playing basketball? Um, we're playing basketball, okay. I think. Um, it's hard to play one-on-one soccer. I guess. Um, Sue did play soccer growing up. She's actually was, was quite good. Um, I played basketball growing up in high school. So I think Sue was better at soccer than I was at basketball, okay. but I do play with her a little bit now. And it turns out she's really good. I she's bet. really good. Yeah. Yeah. I am not that good. <laughs> Talk to no one. <laughs> Is it helpful to you? that you are in a relationship with some, someone within your profession? Because I'm married to someone within my profession. I find it really helpful. How how much do you talk shop that you have so much in common in two different disciplines? Is that helpful mm-hmm. to you? It is. I, I feel like I can't even understate or overstate how helpful it is. Also in the sense that like, because she knows what I'm going through and vice versa so intimately. We don't have to constantly talk about it and right. explain and try to explain to people what it's like to be on the road or what the pressure's like, or, you know, you got an issue with a coach or a teammate or whatever. We can kind of just understand mm-hmm. and like have that, that sense of comfort, but then also bring ourselves out of it. Cause both of us feel very strongly about needing balance and Mm -hmm. leaving things, you know, kind of on the court or on the field, whatever it is. And and having that balance in our life, I think is really important. And so we're able to get that because we don't have to constantly try to explain to someone what what that feeling is. You have a shorthand. Um, Yeah, exactly. I, I find that that very comforting and we can give actually good advice, you know, based on a lot of experience right. throughout both of our careers, we've seen probably almost everything that you can see and, right. you know, highs and lows and injuries and different players and struggles and all of that. I think if we are both in the exact same sport and maybe on the same team, that could be difficult because then you're just sort of around it all the time. But I feel like we're far enough away where we can provide that comfort and, and still have that balance. Okay. Let's, I would do want to talk about seeing America again. Did you like doing it? Mm-hmm. Was it Fun to play that kind of to play that role. Was it an easy transition for you to sit and be interviewing other people? <laughs> Did you like that part? I do. Mm-hmm. I really do. Um, I, I was I was very nervous because it's a, obviously a very different role. And even watching it back, I was like, oh, I need to do this different and be better at this and mm-hmm. hit this transition different. I mean, it's such a skill to be able to host and right. to interview someone I'm so used to being interviewed. I find myself in my interviews sometimes like asking a question, answering the question, and then asking it again. And right. I'm like, you know what? You don't need to answer the question. You're asking, <laughs> you're asking <laughs> right. them. Right. But I, I really did enjoy it. And I think just I'm genuinely interested in, you know, I, I love politics. I love being in it and, and trying to understand it better. And so I feel like if I can help make politics a little bit more relatable for mm-hmm. people, maybe who are sports fans or um, whatever it is, that's kind of a, a passion of mine. So to be able to sit down with Hassan Minhaj and Nicole Hannah Jones and, mm-hmm. you know, representative Alexandria Quartz Cortez is like, you know, a, a dream come true for yeah. me. So I, I really enjoyed it and I hope people enjoyed it and got something out of the conversation and, and look forward to, to doing more. With that. Yeah. Are you going to do more? Yes. Oh, good. Yes, definitely. Yeah. The, the pandemic obviously has thrown, sure. um, you know, everything 
um, into just total chaos. But it was a, a Herculean task to get that first show off. But um, it, it really was amazing. And I see a lot of potential in it. I think it's kind of a cool, you know, having an athlete coming from from that perspective, but also someone who's interested in politics, hopefully make things a little bit more relatable. And, you know, it's not it won't always be all about politics. So but there is sort of intersections of politics in all aspects of life. I feel like you know, whether you're engaging with politics or not, it's engaging with you in whatever you're doing. So kind of drawing all those things together in a, in a thoughtful, fun conversation is sort of the goal. Are you hopeful? Do you feel, I mean, it's hard to ask people if they feel hopeful for the future. I think there's only one scenario in which we can feel hopeful, but do you, do, do you feel that? Do, or are you just fully terrified or do you go through waves where you're like, I think it's, we're going to be okay. And then just slide back into like, this is doomsday time. And then four o'clock in the morning is, I think we, we're going to pull it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the terror that I feel and the terror that I see happening in the country and that we have seen for a long time demands hope right. and it demands energy. And so that's how I, approach it. Of course, I'm terrified. Um, of course, I you know look out across the country and see just so much pain and hurt. And it's just, you know, so frustrating. And to see the administration just be as cruel as it has for the last four years is is just devastating. But if if we want it to change, we have to change it. And so that's where I find my energy. I'm like, what can I do to channel this terror mm-hmm. and channel um, you know, all of my hopes and dreams and what I see could, you know, be an incredible, not only just November, um, right. but, you know, an incredible maybe reset a revolution in this country, however we want to say it, that kind of gives me the energy to keep going because it is difficult. This work is long and hard right. and you don't get instant gratification ever. Um, it's it's sort of the the culmination of all the work is the reward and you have these little victories and you have setbacks and you have times that are, you know, harder and times that are better. But I feel like just for me personally, I have to stay hopeful. I think I would drive myself crazy if I didn't. And that that's the the energy that I gain from it. Who do you look because so many people look to you for inspiration? Well, who does the inspiration look to? When they need inspiration? (laughs) (laughs) I look right back at them. Um, I feel so often that you know, I've been, you know, very lucky and put in this position of great privilege. And I have this incredible platform that I have helped to build, but I certainly did not build this entire thing by myself. Um, even just going back to what we were saying before about, you know, Colin Kaepernick and mm-hmm. understanding that there's a reason why I'm here in the position that I'm in and he is not. And so I feel like I'm I'm often given the microphone to speak on behalf of things that maybe don't affect me personally, or, or I haven't, you know, had in, you know, sort of a personal interaction with, but I am speaking on behalf of people. Right. And so I feel like whenever I'm speaking, I'm, they're my audience. Right. Can I speak for them? And, and if I can, I have to do so with the utmost respect and responsibility and, um, you know, understanding that not everybody gets to have this platform. And I've been put in this position for whatever reason. And sometimes moments just, you know, culminate in, in certain people or personalities. And so 
I, I feel like I know what I, what I have to do. I know my responsibility and I, I try to take care of that as much as possible and really speak on behalf of the people who don't have this platform or who aren't given the microphone or who aren't being listened to. Even if I'm saying the exact same thing mm-hmm. that they're saying, they aren't being listened to. And so it's my responsibility to continue to pass that message on. Ooh, you seem very centered. You seem very <laughs> calm and very centered. Can I come live in the WNBA bubble? It's a yeah, yes, you, you can. Although it is, it is rattling here. <laughs> this is taking all of my 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 calm and my zen to keep me in this place. I just learned, and I did not know this, that you're a foodie. Is that true? Yes, that's that's my <gasps> hobby. People are always like, "Oh, what's your hobby?" I'm like, "Listen, it's I don't like hobby. hiking. I don't I don't do anything. <laughs> I like going to dinner." Oh, me too. I'm re- I'm right there with you. Yeah. Okay, so. What's your first meal when restaurant dining is totally <sighs> safe again? Or are you are you a cook? Do you like to cook for yourself? Is that um, a part of the equation? I like, I like to cook okay. No, I'm not like a chef or anything. And so uh-huh. if I'm wanting to have a meal, like I want the expert to be cooking it for me. I can, you know, survive on my own. But um, okay. oh, a first meal. I know this, this has been, um, you know, one of the, the, the harder things, you know, about quarantine is just not being able to go out and have that experience and, and see friends. I've been saying for a while at my first meal, I want it to be sushi and I want Mm. the sushi chef to like, you know, obviously we're going to be in a very safe world where the virus is not happening anymore. I want the sushi chef's clean hands all over my food. I want to like take (laughs) it out of his hand and like put it right into my mouth. I want, I just want this like visceral experience of like having the most amazing sushi ever. That's, that might be the first one. Line up with your friends, like some baby birds and open your mouth and let them put beautiful sushi in your mouth. Like the Holy host. That's exactly what I want. That sounds amazing to me. No, right? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm so, I have such gratitude that you talked to me today. It was so interesting to talk to you. And I think your special is great. And I think your girlfriend's awesome. And I like watching couples videos of the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> and so thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom and all that. It's just a total pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on. It was it was uh, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Maybe next pandemic, we can bubble together. Okay, I got to squeeze in another quick break here. Oh, she's so great. She's great. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, the bubble kind of stresses me out because I really hated sleepaway camp, but she makes <laughs> it sound really fun. I would go bubble with them. Really fun. It reminded me actually, and I it, this is so it's it's silly, and I'm sure that the WNBA bubble is not like this, but I do recall working at the Daily Show and going to all the political conventions through the years, and that. It wasn't a bubble because we were coming and going, but you we ended up because we had little babies the whole time mm. and we would take our babies and our toddlers with us to whatever hotel we were staying in in Denver or wherever it was. And there were just times where I was like, I can't eat restaurant food. Like I can't <laughs> do this. I can't live out of a hotel room anymore without making it a little personal. So every town I would go to, I would go to Target or some store and get like a hot plate and I would make my own omelet. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. 
just no. It's sad. <laughs> I just no. I remember. Really... I remember four years ago when we were in Cleveland for the RNC, mm-hmm. and we had to search to see if there was like a supermarket or a Whole Foods within yeah. like walking distance. And I think you just like would leave every morning at like five to yes. like look for groceries. Be like, where is Sam? Yes. What it, do you mean she walked somewhere by she, herself? It's happening. Well, I don't know. I just need to know that I can make my own food. <laughs> What was your best and what was your worst uh, convention experience? Ah, uh, I don't. They're all just All of them. They were all the worst. They're all bad. They're all the best and the yeah. worst. They're all bad. They're terrible. And yet a masochistic part of me missed being able to go but i think it's more like lamenting the state of the world than actually physically wanting to be at a convention like as a television producer i think like if i put on just a producer hat sure. you miss the opportunity to really capture those moments and to capture like the feeling on the ground mm. i don't miss being among trump supporters because that's a nightmare <laughs> i mean just beyond right. imagining and it's so much worse now uh, you know obviously but um you know it's the best of times it's the worst of times those things are just you end up learning a ton you learn a ton so it's it's always a good experience i don't remember any one except that they were all you know terrible <laughs> feet like i learned very quickly to not dress up too much mm. To just like kind of look good from the waist up and uh, and just wear flip-flops. Right. Because you just run all over a stadium and then it's just wet sandwiches. <laughs> They're like, the only sandwiches we have left at the kiosk is just a, like, it's a hummus wrap. But it was so old, made in <laughs> and, a factory and the, a week and, and a half. And the food is equally food. bad. I've never been, so forgive me for going down this rabbit hole. But the food is equally bad at both. Like, it's not like Democrats are better at food. Oh, no, because it's a sta- it's a stadium. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They're in these convention centers. So there's no food except for that little clear plastic sh- clamshell of garden salad that has like a cube of tomato. It's just yeah. terrible. So I would grocery shop all the time because I just was like, I need t- nourishment. Like it just, my soul needs fruit or like broccoli, something. Just give me some florets. <laughs> yeah. The only vegetables of the RNC was ketchup. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. They do consider that a vegetable because of school lunches. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Thank you, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Okay, so this is the segment where we read comments and I try to discern <laughs> if they are real comments or comments provided to me by Svea and Adam, who try to get into the psychology of someone who leaves <laughs> comments. They're never complimentary, although there are complimentary uh, There comments. are nice ones that we just don't share. Your, yeah, your head is big enough. You don't enough. deserve those ones. <laughs> no, you don't get Too the cocky. nice ones. We're getting I mean, there. I could imagine that if you listen to this segment, you would think that (laughs) (laughs) our social media is a hellscape and actually it's populated mostly by nice people, but also some living nightmares. Mm -hmm. Okay. These are from YouTube. This is all new for me. If this amuses you, I'll play you $25 game tic-tac-toe. Ooh. Ooh. It's just a mess. (laughs) I'm going to reread it. If this amuses you, comma, I'll play you $25 game tic-tac-toe. Okay. Oh, it feels real. But is it so real that it's self-conscious and fake? 
I'm going to say real. Damn it. Ugh. You're like Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> it's real, but I feel like it was left on the wrong video. Like, we've never talked about tic tac <laughs> Never. And what? I don't understand. Uh, yeah, I think he's saying that. The, or he. Understand. I'm assuming it's a he because I think all these horrible yeah, people are is. he's. No, I mean, it is. <laughs> but I assume he's saying that, like, tic-tac-toe is so uninteresting to him. But he'll still play yeah. you. He'll still pay you twenty five dollars to play him in tic tac toe because it's better than this. It's like a really steep. It's price. better than, better than this. this. You yeah. you play like a lot of rounds of that. That would add up quickly. I'll play you twenty five dollars. Wait, you'll pay me. Wait, he'll pay someone else. <laughs> Who's playing? Who? Who's playing? I'm confused. He'll pay someone else twenty five dollars if they'll just play tic tac toe. He's with a very him. lonely like person. Yeah. Clearly, that's a weird. Wow. Please play tic tac toe with me. This is amazing. Okay. Okay. Next comment. This is the slop bucket of late night TV. This is the slop bucket of late night TV. Hmm. I will say that it's real. Oh, very nice. Nice slop bucket. I liked it. (laughs) It is vivid. I'm just trying to search my... I don't really know what a slop bucket is. I guess it's like what you give to pigs. Yeah, that's actually so. like That's actually 100% yeah. right, yeah. Okay. Cancel rent... Oh, all caps. Cancel rent and also full frontal. I think that's fake. I thought that one was going to get oh, you. Oh, okay. Okay. No, I mean, it's, it's just such a logic leap. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it's just such a like, why would you be on the, on the, on the topic of canceling rent? But also, I hate your show. <laughs> Cancel. Help me out with my, like, we should just not have rent, but also your show sucks. It's too many thoughts all in one sentence. Well, it's like a two-for-one deal for canceling things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These are the things I'd like to cancel. <laughs> Here's my list. Um, okay. Why does it feel like you're trying to rush through all of these quote-unquote jokes? Well, I am trying to go fast, okay? I'm trying to pack more jokes in. <laughs> I think it's real. Okay. God damn it, this is... Why does it feel like you're trying to rush through all these jokes? Because you are trying to rush through them because you only have 21 minutes. So it's astute. <laughs> not, not bitter at all. quote unquote jokes. <laughs> quote unquote jokes. All right. That person is clearly the life of the party. <laughs> uh, uh, treat us to some of your quote unquote jokes. Okay, gone are the days of FDR liberals. You can have the party goodbye. Hmm, <laughs> I think it's fake. God. Oh, on fire. That one's today. really funny. <laughs> it's really, really good. Oh, it's thanks. really, really good. This is cringe-a-palooza. I think that's real. Uh, it's real. <sighs> did you go? Did you get 100% no, today? No, she got, she got slop bucket wrong. I know? Wrong. I got one slop wrong. Bucket uh, was, slop bucket. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got her a slop bucket. But damn, that was your best showing to date. I'm very upset. Wow. That sucks. Wow. Well, Megan really put you in the competitive spirit today. <laughs> go. She, she really did. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I can, I'm going <laughs> to, I will definitely beat her at yes. <laughs> We're going one-on-one on real life. Nobody knows who hates me. This is my sport. I know who hates me better than anyone. (laughs) I'm also going to the Tokyo Olympics next year, and this is my discipline. (laughs) 
Great. That's the end. Great. That's a wrap. <laughs> okay. I hope you like my podcast. If you did, let me know in the comments. If you didn't, please consider hate listening in the future. Seriously, though, please rate, review, and subscribe to Full Release on Apple Podcasts and email some questions for me to answer at fullreleaseatsampy.com. I'm happy to share all of my wisdom and expertise as a late-night comedy host with all of you, a.k.a. zero expertise. Let me know who I should be talking to, what I should talk to them about, or just let me know what an amazing job you think we're all doing. And see you next Tuesday for another Full Release. This podcast was produced by Adam Howard and Svea Baron-Reinstein with research provided by Noreen Malik. It was edited by Julia Fott and hosted by me, Samantha B. And when you dye your hair and you have that little hair and you dye it, it has to be done with like a mascara brush. Like you have to be so careful. Otherwise you paint your scalp and then you can see the paint stripes on your scalp. So there's someone who's just tenderly applying hair dye while he just farts in a chair. He's so fucking foul. He's so foul. 